0: Well, the hymn is number 32, number 32. Let's stand together. We'll sing,
1: Come Christians, Join to Sing. When you get back to your seat, you can be seated and turn over to hymn number 112. Number 112 It's called "Grace Alone."
2: Not a brand new
1: hymn, but it's one of the newer ones.
0: Here. It's a really a good one from the KBC.
2: I fully believe that most church members want to make the gospel known. They long to see those in their circle of influence saved from hell and separation from God. But as is true with any leader, you have the responsibility to motivate them to be evangelistic. I'd like to give you five biblical facts that you can use to motivate your church members. 1. God scatters his church to engage in gospel conversations. After the stoning of Stephen, the early church scattered. The early church had been clustered in Jerusalem, but after Stephen's stoning, they left the area and went throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts 8:4 tells us, "Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word." Each time your church leaves the church building, they need to know that they are scattering throughout the town, city, or county where your church meets, and they are to make the gospel known. Number two, they need to realize that God uses people to save people. Romans 10, 13 through 14 declares, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Listen, God uses human voice boxes to declare the gospel. Your people need to be reminded that unless they verbalize the gospel, many will never hear the gospel. Thirdly, your church members need to know that every person they come in contact with is a possible child of God. No one is exempt of the love of Jesus And every time they meet someone or have a conversation with someone, God may open the door for them to share the gospel with that person. Fourthly, verbalizing the gospel is your church member's only responsibility. Too often, believers are hesitant, even fearful, to share the gospel with someone else because they believe they failed if the person doesn't pray to receive Christ. Remind your church that they don't convict of sin and that they can't convince someone into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit does the saving. And if the timing of the gospel conversation isn't in God's timing, that they're being used to plant a seed, that will most likely be harvested by someone else in the future. Now, let's go make disciples.
0: It's a great point how the, the illustration about those five examples, remember what happened, the people scattered. He referenced what we talked about a few weeks ago, how all of a sudden the folks there in Acts When they heard the gospel that Stephen preached, persecution broke out against the church. And then, what did they end up doing? They ended up scattering. So we're going to, tonight's message, we will certainly be continuing that. Open your Bible to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 41. Is this microphone on? Is is it on, Chris, up there? Y'all can hear me? Okay, I I didn't know. I didn't sound loud enough. All right, if you also have, pull out your bulletin insert, make sure you have one of these, because I want to reference this, this because we're going to be talking about um, really what it means when God calls someone into the ministry. God is still in the business of calling folks. Moving among the brethren, moving among those who love the Lord, and... uh, and I tell you, where folks get called up to the ministry, they get called out of the pew. Folks sitting at home watching a Super Bowl don't get called to ministry. It's the folks here who are in God's Word, who are being diligent and being faithful to saying, I'm here to grow in the grace and the love of the Lord. And God calls those types of folks. So, all right, we're going to read here in our Bibles, uh, first three verses, and we'll stop and talk about it. Now, the church at Antioch, remember where Antioch is. It's in Turkey, southern Turkey. Antioch is shifted to the first place that the uh, Christians are referred to. It's where the believers are all of a sudden gathering right there. And what's happening here is this church is becoming the central hub because of the persecution that broke out there against the church in Jerusalem. So look what happens here. There were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menae a close friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we see some of the leaders are obviously there. Look at this. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, look at this, prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And we see here, this is the beginning of the first missionary journey. God called two men from these folks. This bro- the brothers were there at Antioch, a God- Gentile city. And God, they were worshiping, they were fasting. God picked two of them, Saul, who hasn't been renamed Paul yet, and Barnabas, who all Barnabas is, is an encourager. And God says, I've got work for you to do. God calls people. I just came out of a missions committee meeting. A direction our church is going in is becoming more missional. We are a missions church. Your missions committee is the new chairperson is Chelsea Bells. You also have Shauna Mallory. You have Richard Strange. And Rick Hawthorne. I was in there with them. And each one of them has an assignment because we're, we're going to push our church towards being more involved in missions. Chelsea's going to focus on international missions. Richard's going to work with the college students and Chris Wright. Rick Hawthorne's going to be working with uh, David Dell in the senior adult ministry. There's no reason our senior adults can't be doing mission. Uh, opportunities as well as Zach Bauer and the um, students. You know, Zach has already gone out to Salt Lake City two times trying to get get it together, a mission trip out there. Also, Sean is going to be focusing on local missions, many missions here. So what happens is you get all these folks together and they're going to be working and pushing Broadway to being more Engaged. And I'm going to be working with family missions in our Vermont mission mission trip. And what happens is God He calls people while they're serving Him. I was called to preach, called in the ministry when I was 16 years old. Do you know where I was at? I was on a mission trip to Jack in Jackson, Mississippi. God called me. I'm telling y'all. If you want the Lord to do a miracle and a calling and touch on your life, sitting around watching TV, playing on the internet, it's not going to happen. It's through serving the Lord. I want to give you all an example of local missions. Do you know there's a Nepalese, Nepalese people from Nepal church plant here that meets at the old Irish Town Baptist Church uh, down off Manchester Street. How could Broadway partner and support that church one day? I mean, this is local missions. We always have missions. You want to partner with a local church because ultimately what happens, when you go and serve the Lord, the people you're ministering to, you're going to leave and go back. But they need a base church that they can go visit. So the folks in that community, I guess there's a lot of people from Nepal that live in the Irish Town District down there. I don't know, who knows? But when they're looking to visit a church, there's one right there. We go down there and cut the grass and paint the building. Like we, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mission, a Saturday mission project. We all can find you can go in there and help clean the building, go clean their pews. That's a mindset of changing our mindset from Broadway, of just inviting folks to come here to say, we're going to go and serve. folks in our mission leadership team. They'll be pushing our church. To doing more and more. Of these type of opportunities. So you stay tuned. And I want to tell you this. When you see right here. God called these men. While they were worshiping. And serving him. Now don't miss this. Do you know what the special assignment is. For Paul or Saul and Barnabas. They're going on a mission trip. God's calling them to be missionaries God has placed a call now look at your bulletin here I want, you to, I want to reference this because unfortunately you, you, we, just don't, we don't hear about this much in church anymore we, we need to be hearing about it more God calls people not only that He does it when we're in His presence when God's placed a call in someone's life you pray you lay your hands on them You lift them up diligently to the Lord. And you're sending them out. It's kind of like you're ordaining a deacon. Or you're ordaining someone into the the ministry. Ordaining them to preach. Now, look at this question. There's a question on here. Who's the last person you know called into the ministry or called to missions? Can you think of that? The last person you know. Are you still praying for them? Do you still think about? I wonder what they're up to. I wonder how the Lord is using them. Maybe do you support them? You bought them a new Bible. Or you send them a gift just out of the blue. Say, so, hey, I just want you to know. I'm thinking of you. We support. We give. We want to be a body of believers. That is making this a priority. God has called out these two men, and the gospel's about to go to the Gentiles. There's lost people everywhere around here. And the question is what are we doing about it? That question we just answered. When Rick Howerton shared on that video, when you leave this 3.3 acre campus here in a few minutes and you drive to wherever you're going, you are going to come in contact with people that I will not come in contact with. And you need to be looking to sharing gospel opportunities. We had someone come today at our 1109 service because someone invited them to this church. And they sat over there. That was, was that simple. An invitation, and they came to church. After the 9 o'clock service, this is why that welcome center is so important. Someone came to the welcome center... They said it was their second time here, and they wanted to visit a Sunday school class. They just don't know anybody. And I was right there. I walked them to a Sunday school class, and you all saw me in there. You're connecting people whom God has brought into his house. That is God's plan. God is raising up a new generation of called men and women to boldly fulfill the Great Commission. He is. Churches aren't church isn't gonna die out. Church might look different. But the gospel church, we have to remember, Jesus established it. And he said the gates of Hades will not prevail. Do you know we are Southern Baptists? This is a Southern Baptist church. Southern Baptists have six seminaries. You look at I probably listed them for you. These are these are these are places that folks go. To receive gospel and Bible training. And of these six on your staff here, you've got uh, four of your min- or four, uh, uh, ministers have attended four of them. Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Brother Hurd, Zach went to. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I know that's where um, uh, Chris is attending it. I graduated from New Orleans. I also graduated from Southeastern. Do You know, and I know we have people in our church that are connected with these seminaries. They, so we have others that have attended these seminaries. Matt Riley's been to seminary, he's been to Southern Seminary. Dr. McElmore's been to New Orleans Seminary. I mean, you, uh, you just can pull out of a congregation those that have been called and went to a school to equip and to learn. To do the work of the Lord. And for us. We need to be thinking. Are we praying? Are we diligent looking? Who could God be calling to do his work? That's what we see here. Paul did it. He stepped up. Barnabas was right there. Keep going here in your Bible. Next section. We're going to see here. The strategy for missions. Because God's going to place on your heart. How about do I do mission work? And the strategy is very clear. Verse 4. So in being sent out by the Holy Spirit, God sends us out. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now remember where they're at. They're in, where they're in what they call uh, Syria or Asia Minor in that region. Now and it's called Turkey. That's where this is. And they're going down to a port, and they're hopping on a boat, And they're going to Cyprus. So Cyprus is an island nation in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they go there and something's going to happen. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. Now this is not John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. This is John Mark. Who, also, who wrote the, uh, the Gospel of Mark. When they had traveled the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He's a false prophet, meaning he's going to point people and pull people away from the Lord. That, that word, uh, Bar-Jesus, he's a sorcerer. That's what that means. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. The proconsul was the ruler there in this region. He was appointed by Rome. So he was over this area. And all of a sudden he hears about Barnabas and Saul and he wants to know more about their message. There's nothing unusual about this. This would be standard. But look at this, verse 8. But Eleamus," Eleamus, the sorcerer, That is the meaning of his name. That's who this bar Jesus, this false prophet is. Look what he does. He opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Meaning, all of a sudden, when someone wanted to hear about the gospel, this guy is trying to divert them away. This happens all the time. Today, I was someone. I was somewhere recently. I can't tell you where. Don't want to give it away. And it was coming to the gospel presentation. And the moment that was about to happen, all of a sudden, amazing distractions. Someone busted in the room. Uh, phones went off. It was almost. And honestly, I have gotten to the point. When you are, y'all just be aware of this, when a clear gospel presentation is being made, almost without fail, the distractions come. They always do. And it's because the devil is going to distract you. Vacuum cleaner goes off. People walk in the room and start talking. Text messages. And... And you wonder, well, goodness, I just I lost my audience. Paul's realizing this. God knows. The devil knows these folks are gonna lead, trying to lead the pro-council here, this this leader to the Lord. There is always an anti-missionary effort. And what happens, and we see this throughout the entire book of Acts. What happens? is I want to show there's different responses to the Word of God. I'm going to show them up here on the screen. Because our responsibility is to present God's Word. And that's what Saul and Barnabas are doing. And when you and I go out and do this, we will have three different types of response. Number one, some will be open to God's Word. What open means is this is the person who comes to visit the church. They want to come to Sunday school. They're just curious they're open to listening to what you have to say they open up their bibles even a lost person could be in this category and save people i mean you're just you're just you you're, you want to hear a message from god why don't you come to church you want the lord to speak to you and here's an opportunity but look at this number 2 some will oppose god's word this is absolutely the case there will be people who oppose our church becoming a more missional and evangelistic church they will and there's all sorts of ways to do that I mean think about it we get an active missions team and we want to start being more fruitful and aggressive in pushing our church towards serving this is how you can oppose that and folks will do this we don't have the money right off the bat missions cost money we're not here to plan trips you know we've got stuff right here at broadway we need to be focusing on i mean why don't why why go to vermont when you can do it here why do we need to go on the other side of the world when there's lost people right here in lexington Now people who say these things and people who oppose missions because it happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's satanic. We don't realize. You always have to wonder could I be allowing the devil to you put words into my mouth that are actually discouraging the work of the Lord. Now this guy here Eleamus, he's a sorcerer. He knows what Paul and what Barnabas are up to. A lot of times, people who are discouraging missions, they don't even realize what they're saying. And they're allowing the, the, the devil to use them as, with a spirit of discouragement. And what happens here is this opposition will exist today because what's happening is the word of god will advance and we have to say am i going to join in advancing the word of god seeing seeing folks saved in our church being more aggressive and in pushing forward all right number three because you're about to see here what's going to happen i haven't read it yet but this is what happens when you share the gospel Some will embrace God's word. We have no clue how the Lord is working among folks. And there will be many people. They will respond to the gospel message. You preach on forgiveness. You preach on the need not to harbor an unforgiven spirit. There will be people that say, Hey, I I need to respond that way. I'm harboring and holding to that. Now look what happens here. But Saul, now this is powerful in verse 9. Look what happens here. Something is about to change the rest of the Bible. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Saul's name just changed. Do you know why God changed his name? Saul is a Jewish name. Paul is a Roman name. Here in verse 9, God changed his name. He switched. He probably had a double name. He's probably, if He was among his Jewish folks. Friends, he was known as Saul. If he's among the Romans, he's known as Paul. But at this point on, he will be referred to as Paul. Do you know why? Because Paul, at this point, now he's on the mission field. And this is his first time that he's about to do something. He's in a Gentile area and he's about to become bold on the field. He's not in Jewish land anymore. He's in Cyprus under Roman rule. Very minimum Jewish presence. And he doesn't need to be going around with his Jewish identity. He's now becoming the missionary to the Gentiles. He's no longer Saul. He's now Paul, the Roman name. He contextualized his name. He did not want his name to be a hindrance. Context is everything. Paul recognized, if I'm reaching Gentiles, I need to be in their world. It's just like our church. If Zach is down there reaching teenagers, he has to step into their world. Chris is playing a mission trip to Whitley City, uh, Kentucky. Next month, he's taking a group of college students. He has to step into their world and and, and, and minister with them. There's contextualization with the gospel, and that's what Paul, who used to be Saul, is now doing. He looks at this guy and says, you're stopping the Word of God. He's calling out what it is. He's recognizing this man is opposing what the message that I'm preaching and proclaiming. You know, we can't assume... That you're in the wrong place when you face opposition. cannot assume that. Just because opposition comes does not mean you're in the wrong place. In fact, I would say, opposition, you almost have to expect it. That confirms you're in the right place. If you're doing the Lord's work, there will be people who oppose you. I promise. And they don't even recognize they are basically being a tool of the devil. In a church, you can literally almost just throw a wet blanket on everything by going around saying, well, we don't have the money. Well, we could do that here. We don't need to go there. Well, let's focus on our church. And you could just go around doing that in a church. And what happens is the folks sitting in the pew who are wanting more from God who are wanting to be more active, they're thinking, why are we holding back? What limits are we going to put on the work of the Lord? God is pushing us beyond our 3.3 acre campus. Last week, I contacted our, I never heard back from them, our representatives, our senators. Remember the video I showed you last week? How up in, Frankfurt, they're pushing expanded gambling, sports betting here in our state. And our KBC president, Todd Gray, encouraged Kentucky Baptists to contact their state representatives and their state senators and encourage them to vote no. That's all of a sudden when you're saying, you know what, I'm not just going to limit my faith here. When I go home, I'm going to send a con email just reminding them, hey, I I don't want this this isn't for my household it's not for my family we don't need expanded gambling in every area of your life you should be pushing and promoting Jesus Christ and there's a lot of different ways to do this keep going here in your Bible verse 9 verse 10 I'm sorry verse 11 now look The Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind, and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. He went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand, so he, he fell blind. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. God moved in that proconsul's faith his life and he responded to the gospel he responded to the teaching of Barnabas and now Paul but until that Eleamus was removed God had to remove that man and Paul recognized that he needed to be blinded in order for the gospel to be shared many times you have to be able to identify the barrier and you pray through that barrier and then the breakthrough occurs I promise There will be barriers. And part of the gift of discernment is recognizing what is hindering God's work at this point. Keep going here in your Bibles. Now, we're about to see a sermon. Now, I want you to understand the the layout of where this is. Paul is going to travel up. Remember, we're, we're, we're up in this area here in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea called Cyprus. If you have the Bible, a nice Bible with the little maps in the back, you can look in the middle of the Mediterranean. And he's going to go back there to what the Bible called Asia Minor. And he's going to travel up into the interior. This is all current day Turkey. And you, he's going to travel this area. This is Roman world. And he's going to preach and prepare uh, present the gospel. But I think, going back to what before we move on, going back to the strategy. I told you I was going to tell you the strategy. I have it on here on the handout. Where did Paul go? He first went to the synagogues. He showed up to where the religious people were. Those folks did not believe in Jesus. He came there boldly proclaiming the gospel. Secondly, he brought a helper with him. He brought John Mark. You, ne- you never miss an opportunity to mentor someone. Let me ask you, who are you mentoring? Who is your John Mark? Who is the person that you're bringing alongside? Can you identify anyone in your life that when you do something, you're helping them along too? In our missions committee, I want to give you all a perfect example. Richard Strange, he's here. You know, He wanted to work with the college students. He says, Daniel, I've already told Chris I'm going to open up my home to them. I want to get to know them. I want to invest in their, their lives. I want them to, I, them to see me. And Mary is someone that if they need something, they need to talk to somebody. I, I'll listen. I'm there. While they're here in UK or here at college for whatever reason, he wants to make himself available. We talked about in our missions, leadership meeting, intergenerational mission opportunities. What that means is, there's nothing that a retired person, nothing should hold back from a retired person to be working right there with little Daniel, who's 14 years old, serving together. Right there with Elizabeth, who's 12 years old, serving together learning, and, in, and having people invest in them. I can think of the people who invested in me. Tonight's Super Bowl night. I'll give you all a perfect example. I grew up in church, and I will think, churches don't do this anymore, and I'll tell you all why. Super Bowl, it seemed like it used to start earlier, now it's starting later, and the games just go on forever. Halftimes for a long, I mean, a long time, and the game doesn't, doesn't end until like 10, 11 o'clock or so. Churches, used to have these things called Super Bowls, like, like soup. And you would come, I'm, have, have y'all been to one of these events, a like Super Bowl party? You would go there, and church I grew up in, they, we had our gym, they put up a big screen, and you'd go there and you would eat soup while sitting in a chair watching the Super Bowl. I was recruited by... I think the men's ministry of our church headed that up. And they would need workers to help. So I wonder what type of work help they needed. They need people to set up chairs. So where do they go? They go found boys in the youth group. They found me. I spent an hour or more, hours literally, setting up all these metal chairs in the gym before that event. That event, at halftime, 75% of the attendance, the crowd, left. But us teenagers, we had to wait till it was over, because guess what we did when it was over? We put the chairs up. The men would come and basically invest in the young guys. And I remember on Super Bowl nights, I just got to know them. They poured their life into me. Now, all I was doing was setting up chairs. All I was doing was literally the dirty work that they didn't want to do. I loved it. Because these men were taking the time to get to know the younger guys, the 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds. Men, are you doing that? That is called bringing along your John Mark. Pouring your life, In discipling others. I want to tell you. If you're not investing in the new generation. If you don't take the time to get to know. People who are coming up behind you. They are missing the blessing. Of having a disciple maker. Such as Paul. Paul and Barnabas. Brought John Mark. You say. John Mark. Well what did he do? He wrote the second book of the New Testament. Now, the amazing thing is, John Mark made a giant mistake, and we're about to see that here in a minute. John Mark did something that actually caused a huge division between Paul and Barnabas. So stay tuned. Here it is. Look here. Verse 13, this is, this is the division. Always when you have somebody young working with and you've recruited a worker, a lot of times they don't always stay, at least at the beginning. They just haven't bought into the program this young man, it took him some time to get there. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and went to Perga in Plafia. Now, that there is it back. We're back on the mainland there in Turkey. But look at this. So, this is important. Now we're going deeper into Gentile territory, we're going farther and farther away from Jerusalem. But look at, look at this sad thing that happened. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. Have you ever known of a quitter? Have you ever recruited somebody and you thought this is going to be an apprentice? This is going to be somebody that could really take the torch and run with it? And then they quit? Uh, This is too much work. I want to tell you why I think John Mark, this young man, left them. You know why he went back to Jerusalem? He wanted to go back. That's home. He wanted to go back with the Jews. He wanted to go back To the customs that he was used to. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they just keep pushing into this deep into Gentile territory. And this young guy, he didn't sign up for all that. All right, keep your finger here in Acts chapter 13. I want you to flip a fast forward in your Bible to Acts chapter 15, verse 37. This tension of what happened there with them, with John Mark leaving. Caused a great dispute between Barnabas and Paul. Look here in your Bibles. Acts 15, verse 37. So, what happened? I want to start in verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of God and see what they're doing. So, we're going back. We want to go back and check on them. And look what happened. Verse 37. Barnabas, now they're in Jerusalem here, and they're ready to go back on a second missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Remember, who is Barnabas? He is known as the son of encouragement. He's an encourager. He's positive. He's just, hey, that guy quit on us, but we just need to give him a second chance. He's the forgiving man. He said, hey, we'll give him a third chance. Yeah, I know he ran off. but He was young. He was inexperienced. He just needs some more time. Look at this. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Phanphalhia. That there is that city we just saw back in verse 13. He deserted them there. So all of a sudden... Back in Acts 13, 13, John Mark quit on them. Why should we bring back a quitter when he let us down? And look at this. And had not gone with them on on to do the work. Look at what happened. They had, and these are kind words, what the Bible said. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Do you know what a sharp disagreement is? That's when Barnabas feels very passionate about bringing this young man, John Mark. And Paul does not want to bring this young man because he let him down and he deserted him. And there, there's, no, uh, there's no reconciliation agreement. So the agreement is we need to part company and go our own ways. So what happens? Barnabas took with them John Mark and sailed off to Cyprus. So he says, all right, John Mark, you're going to come on me and we're going back to Cyprus because you're already familiar with that place. We'll go back there. And look what Paul does. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. That meant Silas was prayed over. He was acknowledged that he could go on a trip too. So now we have John, Mark, and Barnabas, and we also have over here Paul and Silas. What's powerful about this is God used this sharp disagreement, basically their fight, to now you don't have one team, you have two different missionary teams going out. The gospel is even being advanced even more. God is going to use them But I want to say something about John Mark. Every time you turn to that second gospel in your New Testament, those 16 chapters, I want you to remember that book was wrote by a quitter. If God can use a quitter, and he was young, somebody that threw in the towel and says, I can't do this. It's too much for me. But then he matured that young man barnabas discipled that young man that young man started growing and he wrote scripture that we preach and teach and speaks to us today that is remind us god even though we might be disappointed in folks that have thrown in the towel we do not give up on people i believe god used this sharp dispute for the very purpose of splitting them so they could even again have two different teams go out and share the good news. Now Silas is now being discipled by Paul, and Barnabas is discipling John Mark. Flip back here in your Bible to Acts chapter thirteen. We're here in verse fourteen. They continued their journey from Perga and reached the city in Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Do you know that if you go in real country churches, this is very common. I remember my very first mission trip, international mission trip I went on was in Indonesia. I go there and visit. They're literally, I mean, services are longer than an hour there. You go there and they see some visitors from America. And they say, sir, ma'am, y'all come on up on our stage. Give us a word of encouragement. I mean, that's just customary. You're recognizing your guests and you let them share, from the, share whatever they have to say. So that's what's going on. Paul knew this custom. He knew he was going to have an audience because he was a visitor. So he's going to be able to share some word. Paul stood, verse 16. He stood up in emotion with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose their ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. This is the time in what we would call uh, the top period with Moses and also with the conquest leading up uh, to the judges there. After this he gave them uh, ju- judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, do you know why Saul was removed? Because God told Saul When he went and killed some of the peoples. Not to keep anything for themselves. And not to plunder any of their stuff. And Saul did not obey the Lord. Saul did not do what God wanted. And then when God confronted him. Saul argued about it. And wanted to debate with the Lord. After removing him he raised up David as their king. And testified about him. I have found David son of Jesse to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he's promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me. And I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters. Children of Abraham's race. And those among you who fear God. It is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize him. Or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They have fulfilled their words. By condemning him, Jesus died. They did not see him. Though they found no grounds for death, for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they have carried out all this that has been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He has appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us. Their children by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. As to his raising him from the dead. Never to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he, will also, he also says in another passage, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep. Obviously, that means he died. He was buried with his fathers, and he decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Do you know this is our message today? Through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed. Do you know what Paul is doing? He had an opportunity to share the gospel, a free, an open forum, and he used it in this setting. They're already, they already know their Old Testament. He started with their Old Testament, and he's presenting Jesus and the story of Jesus using what they already know. Do you know how we would do this today? A lot of times when you talk to someone, maybe they're unchurched, but they have some type of church background, maybe from their parents or their grandparents, you use that as a launching pad, and then you turn and shift the conversation to Jesus. A lot of times when you ask someone, If they know the Lord, or if they go to church, they'll name some church that they used to go to years and decades ago. And you want to take that, whatever they say, and then you you ask them about their relationship with the Lord. Every conversation, just like the video we showed earlier, you're taking every conversation and you're making it a gospel conversation. God has chosen to use words to present the gospel. He doesn't. In the book of Revelation, we know he will use an angel. But right now, he's using words. People get saved by hearing you and I tell them about Jesus. This is why our words matter. Guys, I, I, I'm on social media. And I follow believers. And I'm talking about, I know somebody in Georgia. And I was reading what he was writing. And he was making fun of a very high-profile pastor. Talking about how wrong this man is. How much in error this man is. How this man doesn't know what he's talking about. No one is going to read that man's post. Rant and rave on Facebook. About a high-profile pastor. And think, wow. Such and such really has it together. I think I'll get saved. And I'll believe in the Jesus that such and such is talking about. People do not respond that way. You do not win people over to Jesus by criticizing other folks. It just doesn't happen. Listen, even if you don't believe in what Joel Osteen preaches, going around bashing them doesn't... Nobody's going to come visit Broadway because we bash other preachers. It just doesn't happen. No one is going to come visit our church because we can put down another political party. If you go about doing that, what you're doing is you're killing your witness. You're killing it. You might be completely right in what you're saying. And you might be doctrinally correct, but by being doctrinally correct, that wasn't the right forum for that doctrine. And you have to say, okay, is this the right forum for me proclaiming what I want to say? Part about our church being more missions-oriented is having open eyes saying, am I looking for those opportunities? I'm amazed. Every Sunday, I'm telling y'all, God is bringing the visitors to this church. Every week they're here in both services. Look around. I just know the, the welcome team now. They give out these little blue bags there at the front. If you see anybody carrying around a blue bag, that means they're a first-time visitor. I counted three blue bags given out today. I saw three of them walking around. This was an idea that Chris Wright went and visited First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And I will tell you what happened. I liked that church a lot. He went and visited that church. Their parking lot team greeted him and they gave them a bright red bag with their little logo on it. And do you know what that bright red bag also told every single person at church? If you're walking around carrying your bright red bag, you're a visitor. And I'm going to speak to you. Chris says he couldn't walk 10 feet without every single person stopping and acknowledging him. If you see someone in this church with a blue bag, and the blue bags are underneath the welcome center, it basically has a bunch of information and candy in it about our church. You get some goodies in there as well if you see someone carrying a bag you have to stop and you greet them God has brought them here and our responsibility is to make them feel welcome and accepted here in the Bible keep going here look what God says verse 39 everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Meaning the law of Moses doesn't save us. Paul's turning the conversation saying, works doesn't save us. You know what do you know what the, the, the you know what the law of Moses is today? What well, folks believe? If you're a good man, or if you have this this loosely religious affiliation. And the problem with that is if just because someone maybe joined a church years ago or went to church a few times when they were growing up and they claim they're that part of that denomination, that does not mean they have a relationship with Jesus. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. What Paul's saying is if the prophets can do it, if they will miss Jesus, if they can crucify the Messiah, if you aren't careful, it can occur to you. Last verse here. Look, you scoffers. Marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you because I am doing a work in your days. Broadway Baptist, do you want God to do a work in our day? Are you hungry for a movement from the Lord? Are you passionate And wanting more. Just like that video I showed, every single time you drive off this church campus, you go to work on Mondays, guys, we have to be looking for opportunities to tell our lost city about Jesus. And it is lost. There's a lot of folks right now sitting around watching football. And that's what they have to live for. They're watching two teams they don't even care about. They don't even know any of the players. They wouldn't have a clue in the world. and They're just, just being indoctrinated with commercials. That's literally shaping their mindset. This week I was talking to somebody. And they told me one of the things they struggle with is they binge watch Netflix. Do you have Netflix at your house? Netflix is a streaming service. And what happens? You can turn on a TV show or a movie. And once that one ends, like 20 seconds later a new one starts. You don't you can actually lose the remote and just sit there and they automatically keep playing. You don't have to hit play again. And constantly there's no commercials. And they say, Dan, I'm under conviction Because I'm wasting my life watching garbage. Garbage. I want Jesus Christ to look at us here at Broadway. And we stand before Him and He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus says He will say that in Matthew chapter 7 to people who do His work. We can be distracted and fall if you fall back, if you turn back, last verse, I want to turn back. Look here at verse 8. Acts 13, 8. In fact, let's put it up on the board, because I want to end with this verse. Because we have to identify our Elamus. But Elamus the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the procouncil away from the faith. Now, if the devil is going to work through a lameness to do this, could someone that we know be trying to turn you or I away from the Lord? And it might not be a person. It might be your phone. It might be how you use your time. You need to identify the lameness in your life. What's preventing you from doing the work of the Lord and from experiencing the greatness of God Is you have fallen for the sorcerer. Sorcery is basically, it's false magic. It's a lie. It's anything that gives you a counterfeit of the truth. Tomorrow night, you might be glued to your TV wondering who won the Iowa caucus, as if it's breaking news, as if it even matters. And what happens is that can be your What is turning you and I away from the Lord? Paul had the wisdom. He called it out and he condemned it. Jesus is asking you and I to step up and step out for everything that he wants for us. What he wants for us as he wants us to live a life just like Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. And John Mark was a quitter. He got recruited again to go out and live and do the Lord's work. Will you do the Lord's work? Will you allow God to work through you while you work and minister here at Broadway? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray this evening, if there's anybody here that has, been, has fallen for the elateness trap, they have been turned away. And Lord, it might not be. It might not be a person. They have fallen away from you. I pray that we will call out the sin. We will have the discernment to realize that Lord, we have fallen for a trap. And God, we need to, we need to repent of it and use our time and give our time to you, Jesus. God, I pray this evening, if there's anybody here that needs to respond, you call us to respond. That proconsul responded. If he can respond in a Gentile city on the middle of an island in the Mediterranean, we can respond here in Lexington tonight. I pray as we leave this building, we think of ourselves as missionaries. You have called and equipped us to share the gospel. Lord, we give you this invitation. I pray for your spirit to move tonight. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We closed every single service with our invitation. I'm invited you to stand. David's going to sing along. I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond.